Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, folks, we've been going through the seven, the seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. It's found in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. They're not prophetic verses. They actually are letters that were written to the churches at that time to address the issues that they were facing. And when you look at these letters, they're actually issues and problems that we ourselves face in our own lives and we ourselves face as a church. And so we've looked at several issues. We're coming to the final issue now, and it's called spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. They were having some issues that really they could not see in their own lives, but Jesus could see that what's going on there. You say, what are you talking about, George? Well, have you ever thought that everything was going okay in your life, and you might be there right now, and you just think you're wonderful, you just think you've arrived, you just think as far as issues you're doing okay, but you talk to the person next to you, you talk to your spouse, you talk to your family member, and when you say, I'm doing okay, they chuckle. They laugh because they know better. They see something in your life that you are, how shall we say it, blind to. You think everything's wonderful, but they realize you're not doing good at all. You ever been there? This is what's going on with this church, this final church. It's a church at Laodicea, small city in Asia Minor, had some issues. Actually, on the outside, looked like they had it together. But the problem is, is they really don't see their own problems. They don't see the issues that they're struggling with. So Jesus is going to talk to them about it. Now, with these letters, when we read the letter, you're going to see that the letter is divided into four parts. You're going to see that Jesus identifies himself, it's me. He's going to talk about himself in a way that addresses the issue that they're struggling with. He's going to talk about what he sees. He's going to talk about what their issue is. And then he's going to talk about what they need to do. Isn't that interesting? God just doesn't reveal to you what your problem is. He always tells you what you need to do about your problem. And then we're going to see the promise because you have to have an incentive for why you need to deal with this issue. So let's look at this letter today. We're in verse 14 through the end of the chapter in the book of Revelation. Notice with me what he says to the angel or the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich 
and white garments that you may be clothed. Let the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, folks, let's take a look at who he's identifying himself here. Notice what it says, verse 14. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Two things I want to point out about how Jesus identifies himself. Very first thing, he identifies himself as the amen. Amen means, whether you realize it or not, because you say it after every prayer, amen means so be it. That's what amen means. Amen literally means so be it. So he's identifying himself as the so be it. The so be it, the faithful and true witness. What's going on here? Jesus is the final and true authority. Jesus is the final and true authority. We've already seen this several times already in the other letters. When it comes to Jesus, when he says something, that's it. He is the final say. You know, it used to be years ago, we used to say the buck stops here. We got that, I think, from Harry Truman, President Harry Truman. The buck stops here. Here's the final decision. Folks, let me tell you, it's God. The final authority in my life and in your life, the final authority in our church, the final authority in the world is Jesus. Do you understand? He's the amen. He's the faithful and true witness. So when he speaks, that's it. You don't need to question it. You need to, you don't need to wonder, did he get it right or did he get it wrong? No, he's true. He's it. He's the final authority. So when he speaks, when he's about to, you and I need to listen, right? When he points out something to you, you don't need to question if maybe you're getting it wrong or maybe he doesn't understand. You need to recognize he is the final and true authority in our lives, period. Here's what I want you to see. Second thing, kind of goes with it. He says he is the beginning of the creation of God. What's he talking about there? Well, Jesus has always existed. He existed from the very beginning. He was part of creation from the very beginning. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that. What do I want you to see here? Jesus is the creator. He's the creator. Jesus is not one God among many gods. He's not one point of view among many points of view. Jesus has always existed. Jesus has always been from the beginning. What you see in this world is because Jesus brought it into existence in this world. Do you understand? So he's not just the final authority. He's it. You exist because of Jesus. You're breathing now because Jesus allows you to breathe. Do you understand? That's the point he wants to make here. So when he's speaking, I need to pay attention. And he's going to tell that to a church that definitely needs to know that somebody's in charge. Why? Well, let me explain something to you. It's very evident in this passage, and it's going to be evident in our lives. The culture you come from always dictates how you approach spirituality. You want to write that down, write that down. The culture you come from 
always dictates your spirituality. So we're Americans. There are things about American culture that are true for us that are not necessarily true around the world. One of them is individualism. Individualism is definitely a trait of an American, right? We always think in terms of ourselves, not in terms of community or as a whole. We always think in terms of ourselves and what I want, what I can do. And we think in terms of what I can achieve and what can I accomplish and so forth. And that's part of our culture. The Laodiceans were no different. Let me tell you a little bit about their history. I don't know why they put the city where they did, but they put the city in a location that was prone to earthquakes. Even to this day, it was prone to earthquakes. And several hundred years before this letter was written, there was a massive earthquake that destroyed Laodicea, literally laid it to the ground rubble. Now, because it was a Roman city, the Roman government offered to pay money to rebuild the city. That's what governments do, right? Governments help rebuild disaster areas. Well, let me tell you about the Laodiceans. The Laodiceans were so self-sufficient and so wealthy, they basically told the government, take a hike, we can do it ourselves. And they rebuilt their city themselves. Now, you're going to see that that attitude, that cultural mindset of self-sufficiency is the mindset that the Laodiceans had as Christians. It was part of the fiber of who they were. And so Jesus is coming along and he's identifying himself as the final and true authority. He's identifying himself as the creator. Why? Because you have a group of people that say, we don't need anybody else. We can do it ourselves. When you have a group of people like that, sometimes they need to be told what? that there's somebody else who's in charge, that there's somebody else who is an authority. There's somebody else who's above themselves. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So that's why he identifies himself that way. Because I want you to notice what he sees here, and it's going to go back to the whole cultural mindset of where they're at. Notice what he sees. Let me read it to you. I know your works. First of all, that statement. He said that in every letter. He knows everything about them, Everything about us, folks, nothing is hidden from them. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked couple things that come out of this. First one, he says, you're neither cold nor hot. What's going on there? Well, remember I told you that I don't understand city fathers sometimes when they design places where they're going to put a town. They didn't just put this town, this city, in a location that was prone to earthquakes. They put this place with no natural source of water. Now, you think about that for a moment. If you're going to put a city where people are going to live, you need to have a source of what? water. So here's what they had to do. They had to pipe their water in. And the locations that they had to get it from was other towns nearby that had natural sources of water. And in one place, they had a natural source of water that were hot springs, so the water was hot. In another location, they were cold springs, so that the water was cold. And then they would pipe the water through. Now, we're not talking PVC here. We're talking clay pipes. 
And it would start out really cold or start out really hot and then go down those pipes. Aqueducts is what they're called. If you, if you see ar anything about archaeology in those areas, they still have the aqueducts today. They would pipe the water into the city. So by the time it got to where you lived, it wasn't cold or hot. It was what? Lukewarm. Not just lukewarm, folks. Think about water going through clay pipes. It would be pretty what? Disgusting. Now Jesus says to this church, look, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either. You know, I used to wonder about the hot thing. Like, who drinks hot water? Till I went to Asia, and everybody in Asia drinks hot water. Boiling hot water. Why? Because that's refreshing to them. Why? I didn't realize why. Because they're concerned about the water being pure. And when it's hot, they know that it's been what? Boiled, therefore it's good to what? Drink. Same thing in this culture. Same thing in this culture. Here's what I want you to see. The issue is the usefulness and the condition of the water. And what he's talking about here is the condition of themselves. So here's the point. Here's what he sees. He is sickened by the fact that they are worthless he says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Folks, that's a pretty direct way of saying you make me sick. Wouldn't you say that? You make me, he's basically saying to this church, you're neither hot nor cold, you make me sick. Why? Because they're worthless. What a description of somebody's Christian life, isn't it? First thing, now stop for a moment. You can think about all these other churches and the stuff that they've gone through. This is the only letter that we've gone through so far where he is that plain and abrupt. This is the only letter so far, even with the others and the stuff that they were involved in. It was like, holy cow. I mean, seriously, they were doing that? This church, he's saying to you, you make me sick. I mean, that's pretty blunt, wouldn't you say? So what he knows is, is he knows that they're worthless and it makes him sick. Here's the second thing he says about them. And this has to do with their self-sufficiency, their wealth. Look at what he says there. You say I'm rich but and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, but you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Here's what he's saying. Jesus knows that they are blinded by their self-sufficiency. Blinded by their self-sufficiency. But see, while you have everything and while you can enjoy everything, that doesn't help you with something that's really missing in your life, and that's a dependency upon God. See, that's what happens, isn't it? See, you and I can get to the point where we, we've got the brain power. We may not have the wallet power, but we got the brain power. Or we got the health power that we can get to the point where we don't need God in our everyday lives. We, we can figure it out. We can get through that problem. We've gotten through other problems. We can figure it out. We can handle this. We can make it through. And we can say, and, and here's what we do in our culture, in the American culture, we, we slap everybody on the back and say, boy, that was good. You got through that one all right. That's what we, we call that achievement. And we think that that is okay. And in the culture standpoint, that is okay. But the danger is, is that if you bring that over into your spiritual life, if you bring that over into your relationship with Jesus, that's not okay. 
Because Jesus looked at this group that thought they had it all together, that they were wealthy, they were rich, they were fine, they were self-sufficient. He says, you don't realize that you're what? Blind, naked, poor. And he's not talking about the size of their bank account. He's talking about the depravity of their what? Soul. He's talking about the depravity of their soul. See, you and I can get to that place in our spiritual lives that we are blind to the obvious, that things aren't good. Now, here's the thing. You can think you're somewhere with God and actually not be there, but the people around you see it. But did George say anything to him that day? No. Do people around you say anything about your depravity, your blindness in your life? Probably not. Why? Because we wouldn't listen to them anyhow, right? Because we think we've got it together. But Jesus says, look, there is a problem. You are blinded by your self-sufficiency. Now, let's stop for a moment. I want you to delineate what I'm talking about here. I, I don't want you to shut me off because George is saying that I need to be a freeloader and, and I don't need to be achieving or whatever. No, no, George isn't saying that. I've said the cultural viewpoint's okay. That's the cultural viewpoint. But the cultural viewpoint has nothing to do with your spiritual life and your walk with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, self-sufficiency is not a virtue. Dependency is what's right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Being at a place where you recognize you can't do it without God, that's right. That's the point he's making here. So you say, okay, what, what does he tell us to do? You're saying he not just reveals the problem to us, he tells us what I, we need to do. Well, look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salves that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him that he and he with me. What's going on here? Two things. Number one, find your support in him to deal with your spiritual bankruptcy. If you're spiritually bankrupt, I'm not talking about the size of your wallet. I'm not talking about the knowledge you have in your head. I'm not talking about the education you have or the resources. You may have all of that and still be spiritually bankrupt. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's saying here, seek from him true riches, spiritual riches for your soul. That satisfies. Seek from him white garments. Now, he's not talking about that Jesus is going to have a Jesus outlet in the mall, and you can go buy white clothes there. He's talking about righteousness. You seek your righteousness from God himself from Jesus. He'll clothe you and he'll give you eye salve. What is that? He'll give you literally an ointment, not a literal ointment, but a spiritual solution to the fact that you don't really see where you're at. He'll open your eyes to your true condition. You seek him. You seek your support from him. I need to seek my support from him. 
Let me just stop for a moment. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been a believer now 32 years. I can tell you, this problem he's talking about here, I can suffer from it too and have. Nobody here is immune from it. Nobody. And there are times when we got to wake up to the true spiritual condition of our heart and realize we are bankrupt in a spiritual sense. And the only one who can bring us healing and provide for us is who? Jesus. So we seek it from him. Seek it from him. Here's the second thing he points out. Look at what he says there. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Stop for a moment. He's not going to allow you to be in your spiritual bankruptcy for long. He's going to try to get your attention. Just going to say that right off the bat. God's not going to allow you to just walk around thinking you've got your act together. He's going to bring something across to happen in your life to make you realize that you need him, period. Bottom line, he says, look what he says. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Here's what he says. Therefore... Here's what you need to do. Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now listen, that passage there, we often use that to ref- as a, an evangelistic passage to talk about God is opening the door for people to come to him. Fine, you can use it that way, but that's not what it's talking about. He's talking to the person who's spiritually blind. He's talking to the person who is spiritually bankrupt in their life and doesn't see it. He's saying, be zealous and repent. So what does that mean? Repent means come to your senses. Here's the point. Come to your senses and recognize that Jesus is calling to you. He's saying, come to your senses. Realize where you're really at and that something needs to change. And then he says, look, behold, I stand at the door. I'm knocking. I'm calling to you. Open up. I'm offering you a greater relationship with me. You need me. Listen, do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus is saying to you, he's saying to me, you need me. And don't we? We've got to climb off our high horses. We've got to quit thinking we've got it together. I mean, here's the reality. We got a week, you and I got a week coming up. We don't know what this week holds. We've got our plans. I've got my, I got my mobile device and my brain is in my mobile device and all my appointments is in my mobile device. And so I kind of got a, got a good idea what the week holds for me. But you know what? I have no clue. You have no clue what the week holds for you. Why? Because we're not in charge. And so something may happen this week that we're not expecting. And I'm going to just go ahead and tell you, I don't have the brain power, the resources to face it. I might think that I do, but the reality is, is I don't. And I need who? Jesus. That's exactly what. I need Jesus. 
You need Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Come to your senses and recognize that Jesus is calling to you. Folks, when we look at the Laodiceans, we could say, oh man, what a, what a poor group of people. I can't believe that they act like that. You would think that they would know better, blah, blah, blah. Folks, we're no different than they are. And Jesus says to us, come to your senses. I'm standing at the door knocking. I will come and dine with you. Eating in that culture, it's the same thing in our culture. Eating is an intimate event with people. When you sit down to eat with somebody, you're entering into a very private moment with them. He's talking about having intimacy with us. Here's the promise. Why do we need to do this? Well, look at what it says. Verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Two things I want you to see here. Number one, we are called to pay attention to what Jesus tells the churches. You ever said to somebody, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to my kids and I'm trying to get their attention, maybe I'm, I'm talking with them about something that needs to happen or something that they've done wrong, you know, I'll say to them, listen to me. You ever done that? You ever said that to your kids? Listen to me. Maybe you've done that with your spouse. Listen to me. Did you know what I'm saying? You're, why? You want them to what? Pay attention to what you're saying. Here he's saying the same thing. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You and I are called to pay attention to what God is saying to the churches. This is not just somebody, some message for somebody else. Don't sit there and think, I hope that guy across the aisle is listening. Listen, if you're thinking that, you're the person who's got a problem. It's called blindness. Because you think the other person's got the problem. Pay attention. Pay attention. Here's what he says. Those who overcome will have a prominent place with Jesus forever. See, that's what really matters. It's not what happens in this life. This life is going to be gone. This life is going to be burned up. Everything we achieve in this life, everything we have, will be gone. It'll be gone. You already know that. That fancy new car that you want, you buy it. Go through a couple of winters and then you notice it's rusting out from underneath you. No matter what you try to do to take care of it, it still what? Falls apart, decays, seat breaks, whatever. It's not the same thing. It's not the same as when you bought it. You could even buy the new car smell. Doesn't change the reality that everything rusts and corrodes. God says that in His Word. But here's the thing, but if you hold on, if you persevere, if you seek after him, you develop that relationship with him, you overcome, he promises you a prominent place with him. You'll sit with him on the throne. I think that's interesting because, you know, when you go to the Gospels, remember the Gospels, John and James, the brothers came to Jesus and said, Lord, grant to us that we sit on your left and on your right. Do you remember that from the Gospels? And he said, you don't know what you're asking. It's not my place to do that, to grant that. Here he's saying, look, you overcome, you'll sit with me on the throne. 
Just like I have a prominent place with my father, you'll have a prominent place. Isn't that awesome? Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.